Welcome to this podcast edition of our conversation with Cheryl R. Wilson, president of the NACRJ, the National Association for Community and Restorative Justice, as well as director of the Kansas Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution, also known as KIPCOR. Cheryl also serves as an advisory circle director for Life Comes From It, which is a new funding circle. You can find out more information about Life Comes From It at lifecomesfromit, all one word, .org. Some highlights from today's conversation with Cheryl Wilson include topics around implicit bias, race, and creating connective and inclusive spaces and how we go about doing that. Quotes from today's call include, when we allow these environments to exist without challenging them, white supremacy continues. And we should live in spaces where we are as fully inclusive as we can be. And finally, Cheryl said, restorative justice gives us language and process around how to heal historical harm. I hope you'll enjoy this podcast, and if you so wish, pass it along. For more information and archives from our series, which was founded in 2011, go to org. Thank you for your participation. Hello and welcome, everyone. This is Restorative Justice on the Rise, Media That Matters, a public dialogue on justice. We are providing connection, advocacy, education, and inspired action as a public service to individuals and communities seeking to proactively improve relationships and structures within their spheres and our world. So thank you so much for joining us today for this hour conversation and interactive with Cheryl R. Wilson. I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. And if it's your first time with us, just a few notes about this space. As uh, those of you who are joining us on the webcast probably can see, there's a slide up with a little bit of information about Cheryl um, and how to find out more about her work in Kansas with KIPCOR as well as the NACRJ. And just as an earmark up front here, up top, um, please note that the National Association's um, National and Global Conference is happening next June in Denver, Colorado. So as you're listening in today, um, if, if you're drawn to getting uh, more information at some point about that conference, it's available at nacrj.org. This series, just a little quick note, again, if you're a first-timer with us, was founded in 2011. And as I shared a moment ago, it's really um, underpinned in the essence of open source creative commons work so that you have access without any paywalls or um, you know, some of you are giving your email to stay on our, our updates list for future events and dialogues. However, the value that we wanted to bring to give back to this movement um, originated out of some of our, our own personal journeys in witnessing the justice system and how broken it is, and the importance of relationship and trust building as the glue that binds us all. So without further ado, I want to go ahead and um, bring in our guest, of course. I'd like to say a few words about her, although many of you probably got a chance to, to check out her bio. I also want to remind you that if you have time, or excuse me, if you would like to make time, if you haven't already, to ask a question, you can go to the webcast and use the little dialog box there. You can also submit questions live if you're telephoning in by pressing star two to raise your hand and to let us know that you have a question. So there's two ways to get directly involved today with Cheryl. 
and um, we really value that that you're here and you're bringing your voice and your experiences. So please don't feel shy in chiming in. Either of those two modes work really well for us. We'll make sure to pause about halfway through the hour and probably a little bit towards the mid to end section. Um, but feel free to submit and raise hands throughout this entire dialogue. Cheryl R. Wilson. Cheryl has been involved in the restorative justice field for over 15 years. She began her restorative justice career as a trainer and research associate at the Center for Restorative Justice and Peacemaking in the School of Social Work at the University of Minnesota. She developed and facilitated victim, offender, community, a restorative experience, excuse me, that's victims, offenders, community, a restorative experience, vocare dialogues in Minnesota correctional facilities and also worked as a community mediator with the Victim Offender Conferencing Program in Washington County, Minnesota. So she's spent much time in research and she also has served as a special projects coordinator for the Georgia Council for Restorative Justice, GCRJ, a program of Georgia State University. In addition, as executive director of Southern Truth and Reconciliation, which is star of Atlanta, Georgia, she was able to work with communities affected by historical harm. In recent years, Cheryl has worked as a certified parents as teachers parent educator of a teen parenting program in Montgomery, Alabama public schools. And most recently, the, re, uh, the Wilsons relocated to North Carolina, and she, uh, Cheryl reprised her role as a trainer in victim-offender dialogue. She currently serves, as we've mentioned, as president of the National Association of Community and Restorative Justice, also known as NACRJ, which is a professional organization, a convening body of sorts, nationally and globally, for restorative justice practitioners. So without further ado, obviously Cheryl has such a deep background and has served in so many areas. Um, Cheryl, thank you so much for your time today with us and, and a deep and warm welcome to you. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's great to be here, and thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I was curious if you might be willing to start out with a little bit about what brought you into the restorative justice realm. Um, well, and I, I realize um, <laughs> you just kind of went through my resume in a way that I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, so, <laughs> um, so I, I, I'm feeling old for a minute, um, but and, and I'm going to even date myself a little more. Um, my entry point to understanding and and even where the light bulb came on would have been 25 years ago. Um, I was sitting in a class. Um, uh, on conflict resolution, um, taught by um, uh, Dr. Mark Umbright, who I know you've uh, had on your show previously, and a lot of people may know who he is. Um, I was sitting in this class, and I was, that was the first time I ever heard the words restorative and justice ever together. And and then as we talk more and more about what it is, it just intrigued me. And I wanted to know more. And I was in a very different place in my life. Um, as a matter of fact, when I was taking that class, and the reason why I know it was 25 years ago is because I was pregnant. I was eight months pregnant with my son, who is now 25. He just had a birthday uh, earlier this week. And so I'm like, I have been kind of connected to what this is for uh, that many years. Um, but in, in my understanding of it and in my um, trying to figure out how to make it a career, that took a minute. Um, I was in a very different place in my life where I was probably more of a corporate being. I was also interested in how to adapt uh, restorative justice, restorative practices to uh, a corporate setting, just looking at workplace conflict. Um, and, you know, 
thought about ways that I could incorporate what I was learning um, in that environment. But um, I, I went back to school, and um, Dr. Umbright became somebody who was uh, a mentor for me. And so as I uh, uh, made the choice to um, change some things in my life and go back to school, I got more uh, training and more knowledge about the topics that interested me. Um, one of the things that I thought about a lot was how um, some of this to me connects to movement, social movement. And um, I thought about, um, in a lot of ways, the, the knowledge that I had about um, the civil rights movement. And for me, I'm a civil rights movement baby. Um, uh, just being raised in the South um, and having a, a rich history of understanding what happened with the civil rights movement in my neck of the woods. I'm, I'm from Tallahassee, Florida. Um, and so all of those places that people hear about connected to the movement are not far from where I was born and raised. And um, a lot of that resonated with me, and I had all this knowledge of, of history. Um, and I wondered how do the, you know, what, when I think about historical harm, which is probably not what I had named it at that time, but that's what, to me, that was. And I thought about restorative justice, and I wanted to make the connection that there's there's something to how this resonates in that community of folks who came through that era and how um, restorative justice may have a way of giving us language and process to how to heal some of the historical harms. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of that stayed with me as I was writing and understanding the work. And when I wrote my master's thesis, I wrote about how the civil rights movement is a way um, uh, in in terms of a social movement how it is, how the restorative justice movement has learned lessons from the civil rights movement as to how to um, give voice to people who have been through historical harm and so a lot of that just kind of stayed with me and attached myself to these two movements and 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 I still today um, have, I'm thinking about how um, all of that is a way that I move forward in my work. Um, and, it, you know, just in the various places that I've been and the work that I've done, um, in, in a lot of ways, I see what I'm doing as part of a social movement and not just doing practice and, and putting it on in a way that this is great to do, but it's also part of something that I feel like is growing and evolving, um, and I, I try to treat it that way in terms of it, it continuing to expand my knowledge base as I go. Mm. Thank you for that. And I, I heard you mention a light bulb uh, a moment ago. Mm -hmm. um, would you say that, that uh, well, I'll let you describe. Can you just, again, recap what that light bulb meant to you? 25 years ago what was it um, I, think, I mean I think you probably I, spoke to it just you know with what you just shared but can you distill it I think when I was being trained um, cause it, there was a there was a space where I think um, we all do this we go to college and we we think we know what we want to be when we grow up and for me I thought I wanted to be a journalist and and not that, you know, that's not still part of who I, you know, I wouldn't mind doing certain things around, um, you know, my writing and, and putting it out in, for public consumption. But there were certain things that um, I didn't see where I had a space um, to do what I wanted to do in the ways that I wanted to do it. And I, I, um, I think in those years I was trying to rediscover and find my path. And I did a lot of other things that had nothing to do with anything related to either of these fields. Um, but um, like I said, in, in being a corporate being, there was just this moment where I was, I was thinking about conflict and, and how 
we we often get it, you know, there what do what do we do to get out of our own way? What do we do to what how do we process, you know, cuz I think that whole contentiousness that exists when people are deep and in conflict or wounded or you know, uh all those things. Uh we don't know how and we're not necessarily taught, you know, how to do that, but this is what spoke to me. And so for me, it was like, oh, my goodness, there's a way to process this. There's a way to do this without um, with kind of kind of taking the steam out of um, the anger that people might feel when they are in conflict. And also not just about conflict, but about how to have great dialogue. Um, and so for me, looking at circle process and also just thinking about the, for me, my entry point was a victim-offender kind of, uh, back then we called it victim-offender mediation, but um, it, it was that pretty much environment that I, I kind of looked at that as a model for how we might handle uh, conflict with people one-on-one. And then, of course, um, looking at circles as ways um, that we go deeper and 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 thinking about um, some of the indigenous people that I was able to connect with um, in, ter- in learning circle process, I feel very fortunate um, to have had such mm-hmm. a rich um, history of connection. Mm. Well, I know um, that you are currently working on a book. And that book, I believe, is um, coming out from Living Justice Press. And Restorative Justice on the Rise is very grateful to Living Justice Press. And just want to point your attention to their um, their work and what they offer, um, a great range of books in uh, relating to restorative justice, indigenous peacemaking, circles. Um, so... Um, Cheryl, if I may, I'd love to to move into the the conversation with you around this book and um, talk a little bit about what what it is, what what inspired it. Well, I can't go to the inspiration part because I was approached about writing in it, and I'll say I'm writing a chapter in the book, <laughs> um, uh, but um, I I do know that. Um, Living Justice Press um, tries to respond to what the the field is is telling them, what the field is informing them about uh, what is needed, and I I get that um, what probably was inspiration had to do with practitioners of color having a greater voice in the field and hearing their stories about challenges they may have faced as practitioners and um, just the uniqueness of um, what it's like to be a practitioner of color and and what probably for many has been a dominated, a field that was dominated by uh, white folks um, initially. I know for me that was my experience um, coming Mm -hmm. into this years ago. Um, being a practitioner of color um, and showing up uh, as a trainer or as a as doing my in my practice um, and and also doing it in a very <laughs> for me working in Minnesota I I came across often um, white folks that I was working with um, as people I was serving um, and some people being surprised. <laughs> um, and uh just what that what that experience was like, so for me um the chapter that I'm writing on um is is called calling out whiteness and what can can my... we go back to something cheryl mm-hmm. uh, i I apologize for interjecting, but you said something I think if you'd be willing to unpack a little bit more, you said that people were surprised. What does that mean to you? And what um, what would you like to say around that? When I 
might show up and I might have spoken to someone on the phone or or someone may have received um, electronic communication or some other way of knowing about me but not encountering me may have assumed that I was a white person. Just um, mm-hmm. and and I am sure if there are people of color who are <laughs> who are hearing this, they will understand exactly what that feels like. Um, mm-hmm. And there are times when um, people just assume automatically because you do something like this or whatever that you come in a certain package. I'm not I'm not making that assumption myself, but I I think that there are people who do make those assumptions, and especially mm-hmm. in places where um, the the majority it's a majority white population. So, um, and, thank and, you. You know, yeah. Thank you. So, uh, if you're just joining us, it's our honor to have with us today Cheryl R. Wilson. She's the president of the National Association for Community and Restorative Justice and is the director of KIPCOR, the Kansas Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution. Um, and Cheryl, we were talking about this, this anthology. Is there anything else that you wanted to, to go into about your chapter? Um, you were just starting to talk about it when I interrupted you. Um, well, the you know, chapter is called uh, Calling Out White calling out whiteness and what i what i write about is mainly the idea of what it's like to be a person of color in all white spaces um and as a practitioner of restorative practices i often have been in environments where um as i explained earlier um where i might be uh, the only person of color or one of a few people of color doing the work um, and what challenges that has produced. Um, and I also make the, I, I make a comment about how when we allow these environments to continue to exist without challenging them, um, it, it's a form of white supremacy. It's giving into a form of white supremacy when we say that this is a line we cannot cross or this is something that will not change. Um, I think it's it's our job as practitioners, especially considering the values that we subscribe to as practitioners of uh, and, and thinking about what um, the practice is of, of restorative justice, I believe that we should live in spaces where we are fully as fully inclusive as we can most possibly be in doing this work, especially knowing the people we serve often are a variety of folks from many different backgrounds. But if we're always showing up with the idea or with leadership, I will say, um, that is primarily white that that is not necessarily dispensing the work from a, through a multicultural lens and that's that's white folks informing people of color how they should be how they should how they should um uh respond to conflict all of those things and i just believe that we have to start making changes in ways that it's not about the folks who are the the predominant group that get to make those choices. It is being intentional in raising all voices, being as fully inclusive as we can to inform the groups that we serve so that we get the best possible outcomes. Mm, thank you so much for that. And, um, in in your thought, what would you want to make known, like maybe one or two key ways in which we can really be thinking about how we step into what we call a restorative space? What What's essential, Cheryl, Well, especially for white people? 
I think I think this idea of it being inclusive is is um is a challenge. I think um and boy uh I I I struggle with um the beginning of a project. Say there is something that as a white person a white person may have an idea about something, a project or anything that they want to start. So you bring in your people, whoever those people are, and, and that you want to, you know, collaborate with, or or you or as partners, whatever whatever the circumstances are. If all those people that you are calling and connecting with all happen to be white, I think that's a challenge that you you need to start thinking outside of of that sphere that you're in because what i often find is it's not that people don't want to be inclusive it's that they forget and then when they're reminded or on the at the end when they've gotten the group together then they go oh we forgot to call or we forgot to include xyz person of this group or whatever and then, um, and I've been the person on the receiving end of this, I get a call, oh, well, we'd like for you to be a part of this committee, or we'd like to be for you to be on this task force. And I know that I'm being called to the, to the party late. <laughs> and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it just never feels good. And, mm-hmm. and it feels as if it's something where you're being tacked on. And we all we all have had experiences where we know that we weren't someone's first choice or we know that we were being asked to something after key decisions have been made. That's mm-hmm. not inclusion. And one person isn't inclusion either. And I've seen that often where, oh, it's it's diverse because we have this one person of color who happens mm-hmm. to be a female who happens to also have some other boxes we can check. That's not inclusion. And Mm -hmm. so it's all of those things. And it's also challenging what we say our values are as restorative uh, folks, as people who aspire to uh, work within uh, a certain uh, form of values, then being inclusive and, and thinking in terms of how uh, we need to look through the lens of an anti-racist type uh, rubric, um, anti, and, and also thinking about implicit bias as, as something that we should we should consider more about how we have to have those types of trainings in our background as well. I think it's the marriage of those things that will make us. And this is part of what I said of earlier about being part of something that's ever-evolving. Um, this is where I believe restorative justice has to go, is, is as we are enveloping, um, and, and if, if you talk to some scholars about what, what, how do we define restorative justice, they will tell you that there are things about uh, the definition that need to be um, changed or, or, or uh, we need to consider adding and this would be to me just thinking about uh the the having an anti racism anti oppression um uh type of model type of uh uh rubric to look through um when we think about what restorative justice is i think it's very important thank you so much for that and i know at some point here as we move along today together we may come back to implicit bias in our conversation. I just want to thank everyone for your participation in this dialogue circle today. And once again, remind you that if you are inclined to ask a question, please press star two on your keypad if you're dialing in. Uh, I believe you can also do that if you're Skyping in. Sometimes people use Skype as a telephone. Um, second option is to go to the webcast and submit your question in the dialogue Q&A box that is just to the right of the webcast pane. 
So as we as we go on here um, today together, I'd love to open up um, a little bit about KIPCOR, and that is the Kansas Institute for Peace and Conflict Resolution. And I'd like to share, if I may, the mission of KIPCOR. KIPCOR endeavors to strengthen conflict resolution and peace-building capacities in the communities and institutions it serves. It encourages research, education, skill development, and dialogue to enhance the understanding and practice of managing conflict and to prepare individuals and groups to be peacemakers in an, involved, in an, an evolving, excuse me, complex and often troubled world. Welcoming participation by people of all backgrounds and religious traditions, KIPCOR and its programs are rooted in Anabaptist Christian values of reconciliation, service, appreciation of diversity, personal transformation and integrity, and nonviolence and peace. To you for you know a bit a bit about what this um wonderful organization is how it came to be and um mm. what what you're doing cuz i know there's a lot wow <laughs> <laughs> um thank you for reading the mission um uh, uh, yeah uh, it, it it is a a great institution um well let me let me just uh tell you um KIPCOR exists um, in a community uh, that is connected to Bethel College. Um, Bethel College is a, a small Mennonite institution um, that is the in the oldest set Mennonite settlement in the United States, um, in North Newton, Kansas. Um, so we're right in the middle of the country <laughs> for for those who are into geography. Um, <laughs> what um, KIPCOR is the oldest, um, uh, one of the oldest uh, peace-making, peace-building institutes in the country. Um, we just celebrated um, our 30th anniversary recently, um, and we've uh, there's just been a long, rich history of uh, doing um, conflict resolution as an as a. Uh, we have a community mediation center. Um, we also uh, teach classes in uh, peace building and conflict resolution. Um, uh, we, we are part of a couple of uh, programs that students um, are, you know, degree programs that students can take um, in uh, peace and social justice uh, certificate program. And also we just recently started our restorative justice uh, uh, certificate program, which we're very excited about. Um, so people can take classes in criminal justice and restorative justice um, and uh, do a capstone and complete, uh, and, you know, do their internship and all of that. And they would ha have a certificate in restorative justice, mm -hmm. which is awesome. That's fantastic. Um, yes. Um, it, it, we just, the first class is just going right now. So have some excited uh we're we're excited to hear um how students are enjoying that um so just to kind of give you some other um uh information about us um we as i mentioned we have a community mediation center um we have um uh we're a state approved um uh dis dispute resolution um program and we have an innovative program that is what we call a triage program where we work with um, separating and divorcing parents. Um, we we uh, help them uh, through parenting classes, through um, some uh, deep diving into uh, divorce impact. Um, uh, depending on their needs, we have a class that's that's maybe a, a refresher and uh, and and understanding uh, the process of of what it means to either keep your marriage together or or to move toward divorce. And then um, we have another uh, class that is a deeper dive um, that that walks through um, what it's what the divorce and, and, and separation process might be for a couple. Um, so in that there's all kinds of resources that we offer 
and we have many specialists that um, and contract folks who who do mediation work who work with these families. Uh, so we're very mm-hmm. happy about that. The courts um, really have have been a great supporter and refer our cases to us. We also have you know. Uh, Many uh, cases that come through us through the community, through the co- through the college, and we work in community in a big way. Um, however, we can. Um, as a matter of fact, we work with uh, um, Newton Community for Racial Justice. We um, are able to uh, work with them in a variety of ways. Um, as a matter of fact, we're going to be facilitating an event where we. Um, are just wanting to hear back from the community on some of their concerns around racial justice issues. Um, we also um, uh, are working in uh, the schools in Kansas to uh, do restorative justice practices and implementation in school districts around the state. Um, can, our TIPCOR holds a uh, we have a history of training teachers throughout the state. We've trained over a thousand teachers in restorative practices over the past decade um, through some uh, money that we've received um, in grants. Um, and even since since the grant money has gone, we've been able to continue that. And we're moving um, in in you know larger ways toward what we would consider to be the whole school approach um, to implementing restorative practices. Um, and uh, we've been working with a lot of different school districts around the state to do that. Very excited um, about uh, what the future holds in terms of how we will be able to implement uh, restorative practices around the state and the schools. Um, and, That's wonderful. Um, you, yeah, you have a I Young Peacebuilders <laughs> program. Could, would um, you be willing to share about your Young Peacebuilders program? Um, and I think you you might be referring to um, some of the things we've done in the past with um, the Ulster Project. Is that what yes. you're referring to? Yes. Um, yes. Well, uh, we we uh, in the past have um, done we we we've, we've actually had a peacemaking curriculum where we've worked with uh, folks who facilitate we we facilitate dialogues amongst Catholic and Protestant teams from Northern Ireland, and we bring them in um, to work with. Uh, uh, youngsters in our from our Kansas communities who might be connected with local Mennonite churches um, in the area. So that has been something that we've done in the past. Well, that's fascinating and poignant. I bet that had a lot of impact. I love that it was in um, you know some surrounding communities where perhaps you may you may not expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, McPherson being one of those, and that's a generalization. Yeah, making, that's just- of course. <laughs> yeah, and I know um, you have some some roots in in that area, so yeah. I do, I do on both sides of the family. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I want I want to share with people that Kipcor has a great Facebook page. You can find that um, at Kipcor KS. So if you are on Facebook and interested in liking the page, please do so. There's um, current updates about classes and including classes such as circle process for mediators and -hmm. communication skills for tense times. I like that. Um, Is that an ongoing ongoing class, Cheryl? (laughs) Well, well, we have a conflict skills series that we've been doing, and we've we've done three trainings so far in the series, Um, and it's something that we are excited about and we hope people will, you know, attend. Um, it is a way of dispensing trainings for folks who don't have the time to attend something that's a two- or three-day training or maybe don't have the resources to pay for something that is a, a little lengthier. Um, so we make the, the price reasonable, somewhere between um, 25 to $50, somewhere in that range. Um, the, the various trainings um, tend to be offered in um, – probably a two to three hour window somewhere in there. 
And that, that kind of helps people with being able to, you know, you can probably get off work for a little while to do that or come to an evening session for something like that. And sometimes it's just a one skill that you're trying to, you know, either do better, perfect it, or it's something that's not in your toolbox and you want to add it. And so it's an easy way to do that. And we're hoping that people like it enough that we can continue, we can replicate it. But so far, we're, we're seeing that people seem to be liking it. So I'll, we'll keep mm-hmm. you posted on that. Um, Please I did do. want to mention. Mm-hmm. Go, go ahead. Please. No, you go ahead. Please. Well, I, I, and I didn't want to shift the conversation so much, but I did want to highlight one big thing that um, we've been, uh, we've, we've had the good fortune to be a part of um, this past uh, spring. Um, so thinking of going back to talking about restorative justice and restorative practices, um, KIPCOR uh, um, and Bethel College, um, we hosted the first uh, statewide conference on restorative justice for Kansas. Um, so we're really excited because we were able to bring a hundred um, people, practitioners, and folks from around the country who came to uh, speak and present. Um, and uh, people were—I I thought it was a precedent-setting event, um, and I felt like we were able to do a lot of uh, amazing things, like talk about um, how. Uh, we are working in our schools and in our correctional facilities. We also um, had a very great discussion on um, how uh, restorative justice is informing the the Me Too movement um, and and folks who have experienced um, uh, sexual violence on our campuses and universities. So uh, we ha- we had the good fortune of having David Karp and Jasmine Story come and uh, lecture um, uh, the entire student body, and it was a well-attended event, um, and I had the good fortune to moderate that, Um, but just really rich conversations. As a matter of fact, we also had um, uh, uh, an opening um, panel of folks uh, uh, who wouldn't normally be the folks that you would put uh, in, in this in this uh, environment, thinking about folks of color and talking about our experiences coming to the work and what we're doing in the work and what we want to see in the future of the work. So it was really a very dynamic uh, discussion. Um, and, and I felt like um, it was in the sense of um, the people that showed up, I felt like it was a great event. And we hope to continued uh, having conferences um, in Kansas over time. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to I wanted to highlight that um, because it was a huge undertaking. Um, and as a matter of fact, it, the train had left the station before I got there. Um, I think when I started working there this time last year, the, the uh, steering committee had been working on it for probably a year. Um, Sharon Niss, who is our Director of Education and Training at KIPCOR, um, really spearheaded it and um, just got me on as, as a person who um, helped to champion it with her. Um, but it was a great event and a lot of and a lot of work by other folks in Kansas as well mm-hmm. um, uh, on the steering committee. So very, Definitely very takes a village. Definitely. Uh, absolutely. Those, event, those events absolutely. take a huge village. We honor everybody that we can't name, um, and thanks for that. And mm-hmm. certainly, mm-hmm. Um, I guess on that note, I'm really glad you brought it up because uh, I wanted you to for just that update around the general sense of what's happening in Kansas. Do you have anything else you'd like to share about your perspective and in the restorative justice movement in Kansas in general before we go on to NACRJ? Okay. Um, I think, um, as I talked about with schools, I think that's a great need um, to grow um, the, the practices, although there's some, there's some schools that are doing uh, great work. We just want to grow what's happening with the schools um, in, in terms of implementation. Um, and, and when I say that, I'm talking about how we do it 
to create the culture shift in schools with the whole school approach. I think it is awesome that so many teachers have restorative practices um, that they do in their classrooms, but as we know, when you're one person trying to shift a culture, it's a very difficult thing to do, but when everybody is bought in, it makes a huge change, and not just a change for that school, but for the community at large. And so that's what we want to see grow in Kansas. Um, and in terms of um, the way it's showing up in community, there's there's a lot of awesome things that are happening with a lot of our partners in the communities um, in in the Newton area where we are. We're we're small uh, a city outside of Wichita, but we're doing a lot of great stuff. And then um, in Kansas at large, there's a lot of great things happening. Um, so um, we just want to see um, it, these numbers of folks who are trained as practitioners to grow. Um, and, and it would be exciting in a couple of years if we revis revisit having a, another conference, how many people show up and how many people uh, can uh, be connected to those who are doing great work. Well, thank you. And again, for more information on KIPCOR, it's KIPCOR.org. That's K-I-P-C-O-R.org. Also mm -hmm. on Facebook at KIPCOR Kansas. That's KIPCOR K-S. Uh, upcoming events include domestic mediation training, film series mm -hmm. event, Digital Disconnect. That's on November 4th. And then in December on the 7th, continuing mediation education class. So um, lots going on for you at KIPCOR. Mm -hmm. and I'd, Thank I'd love you to visit for, there for all those plugs. Absolutely. So mm -hmm. I'd like us to, to give time here for you to share updates uh, that you would like to, as the president of the National Association for Communities and Restorative Justice. So um just really want to thank you, first of all, for your service as president and share some updates if you'd like. Well, there's, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of great things happening, and and it's really not the organization. It's it's more of the people who are in our membership who are informing us, um, and and making us great. And and I'm I'm really excited. But I do get to serve along some great folks who um, we are. I I feel like we're going into this time where people are loving being connected, and so much so, um, I just want to give just a little bit of the history of where this organization has come in a short time. So in 2013, right. when we became uh, an organization, when we um, got our, you know, nonprofit status and we began, I, I, I was uh, asked to be treasurer at that time of, of the on the board, and um, I I saw a start with maybe about 250, something like that, coming to the conference in Toledo, which is great. You know, we the conference had been a conference, but it was conference only. Michael Gilbert, uh, professor who, who, who was at uh, University of Texas at Austin, a criminal justice professor, um, had this, you know, convenings of, of conferences for three cycles previous. And then Toledo happened, and that was when we got our nonprofit status. So then as an organization, we're going from numbers like 250. So then we flash forward to 2015 to Fort Lauderdale. We exceeded our numbers at the conference, and we ended up with 550, I believe, um, coming to Fort Lauderdale. Well, then there was a little place called Oakland, <laughs> and we had no idea. We knew we had a feeling we might exceed the 550. So, you know, we were thinking 800, 900 might show. We had 13, over 1,300 participants at the 2017 conference in Oakland, and I tell you, it, it was just amazing. We think, I, I believe that I'm correct in um, the, the, the vast majority, um, we believe about 75% of those folks who attended in Oakland were educators. And a large part of that probably had to do with the fact that the Oakland School District has 
um, you know, just done a lot of documenting, a lot of training. Um, they they are known as a fully restorative school district, which we we have our mm-hmm. eye on them for many reasons. But mm-hmm. there was a it was a way of showcasing that, and a lot of educators, I believe, came out because they wanted to hear what a lot of these folks were having to say about how they were implementing restorative practices in school. So we know it's a fast-growing um, thing to see um, uh, restorative practices in action in our schools. And we also know that the reason why it's so important is because we can impact our our young people before they're put in, in places where we're in the criminal justice system for things that they shouldn't even be connected to because they might have gotten drummed out through suspensions or they might have had um, challenges in school that created behaviors that um, people uh, may, you know, students are, are made to be adversaries of the schools that they have attended. So as a result, I think that it's a way of being proactive um, to help in our communities. So I think a lot of people get behind that. And it stops that, it, it disrupts that school-to-pipeline, pipe, uh, school-to-prison pipeline that we talked so much about. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, so mm-hmm. go ahead. Uh, I just, I just uh, it made me think of another Living Justice Press um couple books that I might recommend, if I may. Um, Dr. Martha Brown did a study of a couple mm-hmm. of the schools in the Oakland Unified School District, and Living Justice Press brought out a really phenomenal book called Creating Restorative Schools um, as a result of that study that Dr. Brown did. Highly recommend that. And as well, there's, there's a couple manuals um, that are I think extremely popular across the nation. Um, Circle Forward, and um, that's by Kay Pranis and Carolyn Boyce Watson. Mm-hmm. So please, again, definitely uh, listeners, participants today, and on the the podcast, check out Living Justice Press. There's a lot of great resources there. So, mm-hmm. um, but but you know, Cheryl, um, that conference I I was at Fort Lauderdale. I also was in Oakland. And one of the things I really wanted to hear from you today is what what do you think that thread is um, that maybe, you know, I don't know if we can pinpoint where it began, but it sure was felt in Fort Lauderdale and in Oakland. And I'm wondering uh, if if you might be able to put some words to whatever that is, the, the, the key thread that we can keep moving um, as we move into the conference next year in Denver. Um, I will say, and I'm going to do a promo as well for our upcoming conference and in the response, but um, I will say that the key thread has to do with connectivity. We are a growing movement. And this is how we know it's a social movement because people don't just show up just for the social aspects. And, and you know, if it's that kind of community, a lot of those, communities kind of cap out at a certain number and they kind of stay in that space. You can't say that about something that doubles, almost triples in number (laughs) um, by the next conference. Um, It's about people wanting to be part of something that's growing and, and also wanting resources. And I think for our community, and people say this often about restorative justice, practitioners, it's lonely work. A lot of times we are doing our work in places where people don't even quite know what we're doing and 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 we are we're doing it in places where we're part of maybe a group of folks who are akin to what we do but they're not doing exactly what we do. So um it brings folks together. And I think um as we you know, as I mentioned, people want to understand how they can do this in a greater way. They want to gain more knowledge. Um, we're trying to implement um, more trainings that are connected to our conferences. 
so that people go back with more skills to do to the to do their jobs better. So I think all of those things are part of the, the thread. The other thing I'll say, and this is going back to the, com- the the conversation we had earlier about inclusion. The hope is that we're growing um, in our understanding of who needs to be there. Like this last conference, one of the things that was really important, um, and it was expressed um, by folks in Oakland, is to include and make space for and have resources to bring the formerly incarcerated to um, Mm -hmm. this conference. And so, therefore, um, we were able to have resources to do that so that um, we're not just having a certain type. And that's that's uh, kind of the, the point of, of every time that we have a conference, we want to grow a little more in our understanding of how we can be more inclusive. Um, one of the other things that we're trying to respond to um, of late is really trying to make sure that we are making our our uh, inclusion more sensitive to the needs of the LGBTQ community. Um, uh, I believe that um, we we want to uh, grow in our understanding of what we might have missed, and we learn lessons, and we want to move forward to the next conference so that we uh, have a greater understanding of how we can do that better. Um, and, and so I want to just say that we are having our next conference in Denver, um, and the a theme is Elevating Justice, Widening the Circle. So therefore, it speaks to this idea of, of inclusion. It also speaks to the idea of evolving. Um, we are um, uh, trying to think in terms of uh, how we can expand certain things like pre-conference uh, uh, trainings. Um, we're, we're trying to uh, grow in the ways that we use technology um, in, uh, part of, it, as part of our registration process, but also as part of the things that we're doing with technology that will uh, help in the ways that we can learn more about restorative practices. So, um, uh, we'll be doing that, and um, I, I believe that we are lining up some great folks that I think everybody will be excited about um, hearing from. Um, so we have uh, oh, what, what, what's about ten months? Um, I think not even ten, maybe nine months until the conference. Um, so we are we are quickly uh, heading toward um, uh, uh, getting. To the space where I know right now we are having um, our registration has already opened. It's been open for a couple weeks now. Um, so please have, you know, if you're interested, this is the time where you do all the early bird stuff, um, which is going to be the, the, the lower prices for, for uh, registrations. And then um, we're also accepting proposals. So please, if you have some things that you would like to consider presenting, please um, uh, go ahead and start uh, putting in for your proposals now. Um, so uh, the, everything's um, at nacrj.org. If you go there and click on the conferences tab, you will see where you can go do registration there. Um, so that's that's uh, information about the conferences. But I'll also say in terms of NACRJ, um, I know uh, one of the things that we're trying to do is put out information that people, um, just in terms of resource information, and we have policy position statements that we would invite people to uh, view. We have uh, policy position statements on um, uh, uh, victim-offender-mediated dialogue, um, and implementation um, and management information around that. We have um, mm-hmm. in- information on um, restorative justice and K-12 education policy and guidelines. Um, that's that's something that's relatively new. Um, there's there's a few other policy position statements that are currently being worked on um, that we'll be posting soon. But I I, I, I say all of this to say that we want to be a, a resource to um, those of you who are in the field, we also have a, 
um, a uh, newsletter, uh, The Restorative Well, that just highlights different uh, things that we're doing in terms of practice around the country um, and uh, just all a lot of different ways that we can be of service. Um, we want to. So um, in that, um, I'm excited about the conference. I'm excited about going to different cities around the country when I'm invited to speak or when I'm invited to just come and see what's happening. I've, I've had the great honor of being able to go to Chicago and see what they're doing there and look at the, 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 the hubs, the restorative justice hubs that people are talking about. I've had the um uh, I've been able to go to different conferences around the country, um, and, and that's part of what I get excited about doing is showing up in places where people want me to just see what they're doing and highlight it um, and, and do whatever we can as an association to undergird um, their efforts. So um, I, I'm, I'm just excited about um, as we come towards a conference what um, what we'll be able to accomplish in that time as an association. And I invite um, those of you who are interested in knowing more or being a part of us to um, look on our website and uh, consider membership if you, if you aren't already a member. Mm. Great. Thank you so much. And, again, that's nacrj.org. Shaping Justice for the 21st Century, and as Cheryl has eloquently shared with us, the, the scope um, and reach of the NACRJ, the vision um, statement is, we envision a safe and equitable world where restorative interactions transform individuals, relationships, communities, and systems through the prevention, repair, and deep healing of harm. Mm-hmm. That's quite a vision. Um, and, and I just think about um, one of the people who embodies a lot of that and who works very, very hard for us is um, Dr. Michael Gilbert. He is our executive director, and I wanted to give him uh, a shout-out because um, without his hard work, I think a lot of what we do as an association would have been a longer time in coming. He works so hard um, and and puts in a lot of time um, that we don't ask him to, but he does it because he loves the work so much. So um, whenever I, I tell people this, if you are a member and you do encounter Mike, just tell him thank you. Um, he works really hard for us, and we're very, very grateful for his service. I, I just want to second that and then some. I, I don't know <laughs> many people with as big of heart as his, and <laughs> I just really appreciate him as well. Thank you, Mike. So, Cheryl, we're coming towards the top of the hour. In fact, we are a minute past it. And I'm just wondering <laughs> if you have any closing thoughts. I know we could keep going. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, we, and it would be great to revisit the implicit bias piece at some point. But I'd just like to leave room here for your closing thoughts. And thank you so much again for being with us today. Um, I just, I'm very grateful to talk about work that I feel like is very important um, to the growth of, of us as a society. Um, we are in, in very difficult times in terms of how we relate to each other as people. We talked a lot about, you know, how restorative justice, how restorative practices informs our schools, our students in schools. Um, ways to get along, how to process, and not just not just our students, but a whole school community, from the person who who pays the who writes the budget to the person who sweeps the floors. If we can think about how we uh, create community around restorative uh, practices in our schools, I think we will um, we will do some things that transform society. I think beyond that, in community, we have. Uh, a lot of things happening that we that are unprecedented in the ways of of contention, um, and and it plays out in ways that are sometimes very tragic. When we think about school shootings and we think about um, things that happen in community that are violent, 
that shouldn't be violent. Um, uh, so in that, we need ways to express how we're feeling and what we were doing and, 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 and doing that in ways that uh, we can have dialogue uh, around issues, the sensitive topics around race, around um, how we, we connect with each other. Um, we, need, we, we need people who do this work um, to embrace things like that. And I, and I believe that there are some great things that are happening, but we need more of it. And so as, as we talk about that, my hope is that more people who want to fund this work will get that opportunity. Um, I am I am very, very grateful, and I'm going to just say this because we didn't get a chance to talk about it, Molly, and so I'm sorry if I'm going over, um, but uh, I have do. the honor of, of sitting on uh, uh, an advisory board for the Life Comes From It um, funding source, and, and that is something that we are trying to do is, is give um, funding to uh, programming that that speaks to restorative justice, transformative justice, um, community justice efforts around the country um, in ways that elevate uh, the work uh, of folks who normally wouldn't necessarily uh, receive funding. Um, my hope is that um, in this first funding cycle, which we just completed, um, we got all of our grants uh, had to, our proposals had to be in by uh, Monday the 15th. Uh, so it'll be it'll be a great um, honor to work toward finding those opportunities that um, will get funded that will be able to do some great things around the country. So I'm, I'm very happy to work with mm-hmm. a great group of people who are um, uh, working toward uh, the same effort. So uh, thanks for that. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm so I, I'm glad that you brought that up this time that we've had together. <laughs> I'm deeply grateful as well, and I hope that everyone in the listening circle has also been as moved as I have felt by everything you've shared today, Cheryl. And uh, I really appreciate actually that you you mentioned life comes from it. And I would like to just point out that um, the advisory circle, which of course you are a part of also includes the Honorable Robert Yazi, um, as well as Troy Williams, Sujata Baliga, Johanna Turner, Dr. Johanna Turner, um, Dr. Carl Stoffer, Sonia Shah, Seth Lennon Nagoyan Weiner, and I hope I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. And I believe that rounds out the advisory circle and um, the website is life comes from it all one word dot o r g mm-hmm. so thank you again i you were on the same page as I was around wanting to make sure we fit in a mention of of that important work so I'm just grateful um thank you everyone again for your participation today um Cheryl, if the people want to stay in touch with you, how can they do that? I can be contacted um at Tipcor at S Wilson S W I L S O N at Bethel B E T H E L K S dot E D U. Great. And I just want to mention that next week, October twenty fourth, Restorative Justice on the Rise will host Dr. David Carp. That's going to be at ten AM Pacific. <laughs> 1 1 p.m. Eastern Time. So stay in touch with us. Provide us your feedback and suggestions and what you'd like to see discussed here at Restorative Justice on the Rise. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Until next time. Goodbye. Bye-bye. The conference is now completed. Goodbye. Welcome to the conference. Please enter.